Hello, my name is Declan Deneen. Welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode of guests on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another. Games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections and games that have soothed wounds. I'm uh, very excited to welcome Jim Crawford to the show today. Jim is the creator of Frog Fractions and Frog Fractions 2. He's also the, the co-host of the Video Games Hot Dog podcast, and uh, and he's a tremendous guest. Um, if you haven't played Frog Fractions, I would highly encourage people to, to go and check it out now. Um, it's just a, it's a Flash game. Uh, you can play it for free, and it's 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 such a wonder. You know, it's it's like this little just this little simple seed of a game that kind of blossoms into kind of Hieronymus Bosch levels of insanity and and it just it, it branches and grows and blooms in completely unexpected and incredible ways. And Frog Fractions too, as well, does the the same thing. I, I make a, a kind of a, a very pointed um, judgment not to mention anything at all about Frog Fractions too in this episode um, about the game specifically because I think it is best approached like on a completely blank slate because a lot of the joy comes in the the surprise of the the audacity of some of the choices that that Jim makes it's it's a really wonderful thing uh, but we do talk a lot about the the build up uh, to Frog Fractions 2 to the the launch of Frog Fractions 2 which is this incredibly uh, elaborate ARG which kind of took place over many years and it involved real world locations it involved putting secrets inside about 20 or 30 other indie games that people had to kind of piece together to find a button and a key and then put the key and the button together and then that would launch the game but it didn't actually launch the game it launched the game within another game that was already on steam it's it's amazing there's a really apt uh salvador dali quote which is you know so little of what can happen does happen and frog fractions 2 and the kind of arg building up to it shows just how much potential there is for joy when people just decide to do things now you could make the argument that you know in the current political climate you might be better off doing less trivial things, I guess. In fact, a friend of the show, former guest Simon Parkin, uh, wrote uh, an excellent article in The Guardian a few days ago about about, about this exact thing, about feeling bad about being a, a video game uh, critic in a world where fascism is, is on the rise. And uh, a friend of his, also a friend of the show, former guest Keith Stewart, uh, gave him the, the, the encouraging words that people still need joy, um, which is always true and and frog fractions just the the amount of joy created even just in the the, the build-up to the, the launch of the sequel is is a wonderful thing and it's, it's a really good chat um i am a little conscious you, you'll hear this in the show i became a little bit self-conscious about halfway through the chats especially when we were talking about the arg where i started thinking god if somebody just started to listen to this now and they didn't know what arg stood for and they hadn't played frog fractions then this would just be completely incomprehensible to them. And, you know, I suppose you have to sort of, well, you don't have to do anything, but I kind of have to make a conscious choice. I, I don't, I try not to stop the flow of the conversation. If, if I get into a good dialogue with somebody, I like to just keep it going. But, I you know, I, I became very aware that, that that might not be great for new listeners. I mean, I don't know. Please do let me know what, what you think about that. If you think, you know, you want a bit more time to kind of, 
I don't know, like, be specific about things and, and don't get into much of a general chat. Maybe that would take some of the magic away. Who knows? But if anyone does have any thoughts, you can uh, email the show. It's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com or it's at checkpointshow on Twitter or it's checkpointspodcast on Facebook. Very important to have consistent branding. I'm, uh, I'm always keen to grow the audience of the show, so please do, you know, follow the show on Twitter, like the page on Facebook, tell a friend, rate and review on iTunes, whatever, whatever it takes. <laughs> whatever it takes um and if you if you're a really big fan of the show there's a patreon page which is patreon.com forward slash checkpoints if you have the the money and the inclination uh, all donations are very gratefully received thanks so much to everybody who has uh, donated so far it's massively appreciated and i think you'll you'll testify to the fact that it makes you feel just as good as it makes me feel okay uh thanks as always for listening for downloading um i will be back next week with a new episode and a new guest but until then let's get on with the show well yeah programming especially programming is very transferable i could i could be making much more money if i were working for like (laughs) other for like you know, Silicon Valley startups instead of like indies who need my help. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you probably wouldn't be as interesting of a person though, Jim. Uh, or as interested in the work. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's, um, let, let's, let's start the show then, Jim. Um, so welcome to Checkpoints. Thanks so much for, for coming on. Um, if you, if you don't mind, would you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Jim. Uh, you probably know me as, the person who made Frog Fractions, but you might know me as the person who records video games hot dog every week. As the guy who, like, mellows Zach out, so he's not quite as alpha on the rest of the podcast. Um, <laughs> or you might know me as your friend Jim from childhood. That Well, we're going we're gonna to get to that, Jim. Um, so, so I'll start, as, as I always do with these episodes, in asking you, Jim, uh, what was the very first video game that you experienced? I have no idea. It was uh, before I f- was forming memories. I have really early memories of um, playing Phoenix on the Atari 2600. Okay. Um, and I have really early memories of playing Super Mario Brothers, but I'm pretty sure the Atari 2600 memories predate those. And even before that, I'm pretty sure I played like Pickaxe Pete when I was like four years old on the um, Odyssey 2. Uh the whole Odyssey 2 thing is weird because I've, I've gone back to it in emulation and I don't really remember I – didn't, I didn't at the time remember any of the games, but I remembered all the shapes. Like as it turns out, the Odyssey 2, like most – like not most, but a lot of the sprites in there are like in the, in the ROM, in the BIOS. Is, um, that, the, um, is that like the, the Magnavox? Is that what it's called, the Magnavox Odyssey? Uh, yeah, the Odyssey 2 was uh, a – was a well the odyssey was like a fixed function like pong machine basically yeah yeah yeah. Uh, and the odyssey 2 was a cartridge machine um, yeah they're like super rare i'm pretty sure i saw one of those at the there's a video game museum in uh it's not a museum it's an arcade in nottingham and and they have they have a bunch of them because people donate them because they're super rare but they break all the time right yeah i don't i don't know um i don't know how rare they are there's uh but we had one you know in my family when i was of the age to like start remembering playing video games, uh, and the Odyssey too. Like a, a lot of the shapes are reused from cartridge to cartridge because they're actually in the console ROM. So it's really hard to say. Like if all I remember is I remember that shape, uh, if I actually played the game or not. But I'm pretty sure I played Pickaxe Pete. 
That's I've, I've never heard of Pickaxe Pete in my life. Is it some <laughs> sort of two D platformer? I'm imagining. Yeah, it, it's like a a single screen platformer like Donkey Kong. Okay, uh, but it's also got. I, I think there you definitely use pickaxes, and it might be like a, a temporary power up, power up like the hammer in Donkey Kong. Um, but I don't remember. It's weird that you have like. So you said you have your first experience of the video game was before you had memories. So did you just grow up in a house where there was already video games everywhere? I guess so. Yeah. Like who's, who's were they? Were they your parents? Uh, at the time I, w- I was, um, my, at the time my mom was still living with her mom. Uh, so, uh, so you've got yeah, generational video game players in the house. <laughs> I, I think it was one of her brothers that had the console, but I definitely played it a little bit. Did you grow up in the Waltons? I grew up uh, that, that. So I'm gonna say some words now, and I don't know what they mean. Okay. But I know I used to live in Islip Terrace, New York, in on Long Island. Uh, those words mean nothing to me because I haven't been there in a long time. So like whatever Islip Terrace means, maybe if you live there, you can say, "Hey, Jim's from here." <laughs> uh, but like the words are like it's almost meaningless to me. Like I can visualize the house i lived in but not the street i lived on but i do remember my phone number from that time <laughs> it's, you have such perplexing memories like early memories um <laughs> but so, so I, purely like from that idea that you you know the games are always around so was it for you as a kid just like another background noise fun thing like tv or books or comic books like, did you ever, or did you like drift especially towards video games? Uh, it was, it was just a part of life. But yeah, as you say, like, yes, that, that, that was something that, um, for whatever reason drew me in especially well. Uh, and like, then what sort of like, what was the, your first memories of, I guess, kind of going deep into a game or getting really involved with something? I have memories of like when I was maybe seven um, we, this was after we moved out of, um, my grandma's house. Uh, we couldn't afford a game console, but we were occasionally back when you could rent video game consoles, Absolutely, like Blockbuster, yeah. would, which was a weird thing. We would rent, uh, NES and, and Super Mario brothers. And I remember like, uh, event, I remember getting to the point where I finished Super Mario brothers. Uh, that was the first game I can remember, have memories of actually finishing. And I remember being really pleased with myself. And was it just you playing, or would you, have you got like brothers and sisters, or you know? Uh, I would play uh, with my stepdad. Uh, he would he was into that game too. Cool. And did you like start forming? Uh, because I, I mean, I think you were probably a little bit younger than me, but nevertheless, like growing up for me, games was like super niche thing. So did you start to kind of, uh, you know, make pals through games as you were like when younger in school? I don't really remember how I met my friends in school but did they all like games though uh yes they they did but i think that was like where i lived like playing an nes was it felt pretty ubiquitous although like for all the americans i've spoken to that does seem to be the common thread everybody had the nintendo and super mario pretty much yeah it was it was it was a very very common um thing to have um although like i i also remember like having feelings like we were the nerdy kids. So probably I was making friends based on my hobbies. 
I think it's natural. I think I think that's absolutely fine. You know, you see, see. Yeah, no, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm just not sure. And did you like? How did how did your kind of relationship with games grow as you got older? So you know, you said you kind of naturally gravitated towards them. Did you start seeking out like other consoles or computers or you know, play stuff in school even? Uh, we didn't. So we were pretty like lower middle class family growing up. So like, I didn't have another console for probably another decade or so but um uh because i had shown interest in programming like um my my family uh, uh put their heads together and then they gave, they got me computers to play with um so i was actually playing computer games for much of um growing up uh, uh, and also uh, so i had a commodore 128 um uh, which was really frustrating because it came with like boxes and boxes and boxes of pirated games and none of them worked. Oh no. And, and only after like I had moved on to the next thing, did I realize that they weren't booting because, uh, you needed to hold down the button to boot the Commodore 128 in Commodore 64 mode, um, to boot most of these games. Oh, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah it was it was pretty like it was a pretty it was a it was a shock it did was you a go back did you, did, was that then like oh my god this is the greatest weekend of my life a <laughs> <laughs> uh, very little of that very little of that i was i was at that point like I, I had moved on to like pc stuff uh and then after that i had gotten a um a 286 and i played a bunch of the like the apogee shareware um, that targeted EGA uh, video cards, and I played like uh, there was this kind of amazing um, Bethesda's proto open world RPG based on the Terminator movies. What? Really, that sounds released amazing. In, released in like 1990. It's got you know flight simulator graphics like solid polygon yeah. solid color polygons you're walking around la um and you can get in a car but all that does really is like display a car hud over your walking controls <laughs> um like you just put like a, a box over your head with like a car panel inside basically yeah <laughs> um and like you can push a button to open a, up a phone book like you need to go buy a gun so you can kill sarah connor or defend sarah connor if you picked that character um and you open up a phone book and look up the address of a gun in the phone book and then you like open up uh, a map and then you figure out like where you need to go from the map and then you can drive to this gun shop uh it like imagine if like grand theft auto had uh instead of having an arrow pointing where you need to go uh, it just gave you a phone book and a map. That that seems it was that and that was that was a, a Bethesda game as well. Yeah, that's amazing. That, I, I can't think of like I'm pretty sure it predates uh, Elder Scrolls Arena. So like I think it was their first foray into that sort of game, and it makes an interesting contrast. Like uh, open world games didn't really come into their own on consoles for another you know ten years um, with Grand Theft Auto Three. But like for comparison, um, all the, like the action side scroller games on PC at the time were compared. Like there were a couple of decent ones, but uh, 
um, they were mostly garbage compared to uh, the the mediocre stuff on consoles. So it's interesting, like to show the to to demonstrate the strengths of each platform. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even until I'd say maybe like 10, 15 years ago, that was that was still apparent. Like all the good first person games were on PC. And everything else was on. Well, actually, I suppose that changed a bit with Halo. But whenever Halo was, like 15 years ago. Yeah, it was about 15 years ago, at least, actually. It was like 2001, maybe. That's crazy. Um, and so this, I'm fascinated by this terminal open world game. I'm assuming there was no, like, uh, moral choices or anything like that, or branching story arcs, sweet, you know. I It, it did a bunch of weird stuff. Like, for example, um, you could go to, to like, a... a a convenience store and buy or steal you could you could shoplift some dog food and you open the dog food and then a dog comes up and like you have a dog familiar that sounds that sounds amazing and and if you buy or steal the condoms and you save sarah connor john connor is never born <laughs> see that that, that is impressive that is way more than i thought there was going to be that is quite good yeah it, it's kind of amazing like it's uh it's worth um there's a I forget what it's called but there's a let's play of it. If I remember right, it doesn't have somebody speaking. It has uh really like w- w- over the gameplay it has uh, YouTube annotations, like text annotations, which is a really amazing way to document a video game like in, in from a from a historical like archivist perspective. Yeah, absolutely. But it's also like a really intense a really intense amount of work compared to like just talking while you play. Yeah. Which is why you don't ever see people do that. Uh, so, like, if you're looking for a um, Terminator Let's Play, look, like, keep looking until you find the one that has YouTube annotations instead of speaking. I'm gonna dig that out. I'll put it in the I'll put it in the show notes. Um, cool. So, so you mentioned like you showing this aptitude or interest in in coding. So I'm assuming would that have started when you started getting these sort of computers? Uh, it started before that, actually. Um, I had like in maybe sixth grade. I can't remember. Uh, I had gotten a, uh, or not gotten, but like found in the school library, um, one of those, I think it was one of those books that was just like, here's, you know, every page is a, a listing of a basic program okay, that, yeah. you can, that you can type in and, um, you used to get them in old computer game magazines. You could like write your own little game and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Um, and I remember like looking at this stuff and thinking like, this is like really intuitive to me and obvious and I could do this. And getting excited about the idea of doing that. Like even before I had actually ever had a chance to actually write a program, I uh, was writing them in my head. That's based amazing. On, based on what I had seen uh, on, in that book. That's like um, people who kind of learn how to play the piano by just kind of drawing the keys on a table sort of thing. Oh, oh Jesus. That's, kind of, <laughs> that's so sad. No, no. I don't, I don't think there is. I, I, like... I'm sure I can't remember who said this. Someone else on the show has had a similar sort of thing, and I'm sure it was something like that. Or they would, um, like, almost like draw a, a kind of a keyboard. I'm sure this isn't true. I'm, I'm elaborating now, but they draw a controller in chalk or something, and just pretend, watch a video, oh, and pretend like you're playing. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. But no, that is amazing. Like, I, I wonder why. Why do you think you kind of you you kind of just got it immediately? Like, was there something? That's, that seems preternatural somehow. Uh, well, so I don't know for sure, but like, like I do, I certainly have always had like a very literal mind, um, which is kind of necessary. Um, 
if if you don't have it, you kind of need to form it to learn to program. Um, and also, like basic, the language was d- invented to be didactic. It was invented like yeah. to be obvious and understandable to beginners. Um, so what was and, your experience so I, when you you got the computers then? Like like putting this into practice was it everything you'd uh, imagined? Uh, yeah, like I typed in like I had a like a five line program in my head and I typed it in and it worked first try, which like is actually looking back on it really weird. What was the exactly, program? It was just like a, a math quiz thing um, where it was like, like just to test uh, to test like my understanding of how this stuff works. Like I wrote a little math quiz program and it told you if your answer was right or wrong. Um, and, uh, moving on from there, I had, uh, my mom's boyfriend at the time was, um, just, uh, it was, it was a really, uh, experienced programmer himself and he kind of took me under his wing oh, and, and taught me the, yeah, it was, it was, a like in, in this respect, I led a very blessed life. So that, I mean, like what sort of stuff would he have been teaching you though? Like, was there, was there specific things you had in your head? Like, oh, I want to do this. Or was he just kind of like, oh, no, throw away that baby stuff. Let's go on to some, some real coding. Uh, no, when you're teaching somebody to program, and this was what, this was his, you know, uh, method was you, if somebody is self-directed and self-motivated, you let them run with it. Because like, if, if you're motivated to learn something, the rest is easy. Like it, it it's just a matter of putting in the time. Um, and if someone's like in that position where they're already like running with it, like as a mentor, all you need really to do is just be there to to answer questions. Yeah, just like the internet before the internet, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So, what sort of stuff did you start building and making? Oh, um, I really wanted to make games, and beyond that, I didn't really like have much thought on the direction and so if you like load up some of these old programs i made they're either like like blatant ripoffs of existing stuff or like here's a new kind of game that's just really bad and unplayable but i just wrote it and in the you know afternoon and saved it and never looked at it again because i just wanted to make a game that afternoon have you still got some of those (laughs) Uh, yeah, I've got I've got a um, a disc that was scanned from the uh, Commodore Commodore One Twenty Eight disc. Just one of them. There's definitely programs that I remember writing that aren't on that disc, but like they're usually like most of them are pretty unplayable. And the ones that are playable are like it's hard to know whether um, like how much of this is mine and how much of this is like an idea I typed in from a magazine or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I bet a lot of the like I, I am I'm betting like almost all the good stuff in there was like oh yeah you you got this idea from a magazine, <laughs> but that's I mean that's that's fine that's like finding like if, if you're in a band and you're a teenager and digging out an old mixtape and thinking like oh, oh yeah this, this song is really good and then realizing it's just like a rip off of a pavement song or something. <laughs> yeah, that's that's always frustrating. Um, but you clearly had like you know a, a desire to learn. So did you just did that just keep growing? Yeah, yeah, I uh, I kept uh, I kept building stuff. I kept uh, finding a new things to be inspired by or rip off. Um, 
after I got a PC, I, uh, I got into the demo scene, um, and started making that sort of stuff. Um, like the, the sort of 64 K do as much as you can in this, this amount of, of, of memory. Yeah, that sort of thing. Although at the time, like the really, the, the fun stuff was just do as much as you can with a, you know, this modern PC, which it was not very much, um, I still remember, I think the very first time I saw 3D graphics was in a demo, and it just completely blew my mind. I just, yeah. I couldn't, and I, I remember being so frustrated that I, I couldn't understand why my PC could do that in that sort of 30 second window, but then just not run games at all. Because <laughs> I, 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 still to this day, I am, uh, know very little about how computers and programming works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the difference between a demo and a game is just that the game engine is like robust enough to uh, draw this scene from any angle and draw a dynamic scene that like is changing with gameplay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's a, uh, but it is like, uh, it it in the in in a very literal sense is it it is a demo of what is possible. Yeah. So like, it's. It, it gives you a, a really nice sense of what of the possibility space of what you could be doing if like programmers were smarter. <laughs> um, and like I've actually seen um, people who make games nowadays, like but we're in the demo scene back in the day. I've seen them like go back and like make something like let's make this like a modern 3D engine for the like the Amiga 1200. You know, absolutely, yeah, it's amazing. And those sort of old the, the kind of the, I think there was like. I, actually, I know for a fact because a friend of mine, the the guy who does the the artwork for the show, he does a lot of um, sprite work for for Spectrum games, and um, but like modern Spectrum games that are still being still, released. Really? That's, yeah, that, that's that's amazing. Yeah, no, they, and 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 they're amazing. And I think it's only really when like speaking to him about it as well because he's he's really good at it is understanding the limitations of it and then just being even more impressed by the things that they're able to produce now because it's just. It's unbelievable, like especially with stuff like you know the Spectrum and really early home computers. There was so yeah. little wiggle room in anything, really. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely like a degree to which, like, if you're not a programmer, like you're going to be less impressed by a demo because you don't know what is hard and what's not hard. So speaking of that, then you know during this period when you're getting really into to coding, like what sort of games are you playing? I mean, I imagine like like. You know, you have this skill for coding, and sorry, I've completely changed the question halfway through, but that's it's okay. Yeah, I no worries. It's mainly just like the idea that you immediately were like, "I want to make games." I mean, was that just the because of the you know your age and games are fun, or were there specific games that you're I like, probably, "Oh my god, yeah. I need to do this"? Like, there wasn't a specific game that kind of inspired you on that path or anything. No, I I just wanted to make games. Just I I liked games, and games are fun, and. Uh, that's really, that really was it. Um, and then like there was a long period where I wasn't really making games cause I was making demos instead. Um, and that was just also because you know, demos are cool. I want to make demos. Did you get competitive? Cause I know that's quite a competitive scene, right? I mean, yeah, that's kind of what drives I, it. I never got good enough to feel competitive. Um, like there was always, uh, there, there were always m people who were much better than me. Um, but I got like good enough to impress people who weren't in the demo scene. And similarly, like uh, when I got into tracker music, um, 
when I was writing music, I, I was never as good as the people I was comparing myself to because we were in the scene together, but I got good enough to imp- like be, to write a good music outside of that context. What's, you know, the, what, what's the tracker scene? Uh, tracker music is like mod files or S3M files, like uh, the, the sort of music format that was used in demos. Right, right. Okay, okay, okay. Is that like I, I used to have when I was a teenager had a a, a music software program called Fast Tracker. Yep, that's that's one of them. Is that one of them? Oh man, I I haven't thought about that for years. I loved Fast Tracker. <laughs> yeah, there's a uh, there's definitely a modern version of that. If you want to, like, I'm using uh, Schism Tracker, which is a remake of the one that I used back in the day, and I bet there's. And in fact, I know there is, I just don't remember the name of it, a remake of Fast Tracker that you can use if you want to like just start pulling like use pulling in your old skills and just apply them directly to modern tools. You can just do that. I'm sure, it, I don't know if I'm misremembering this now, but I'm sure the, the company that made that went on to make games, like they became a games company. Uh, that was Triton, which unless I'm misremembering became Starscream. Wait, was that the name of it? Anyway, it was the company that made Chronicles of Riddick. I'm yeah, pretty yeah, sure yeah. That's, that's exactly what a, I'm thinking of. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a direct through line from that from that demo group to that company. Is Star Screams the name of like a Transformers character? It is isn't the name it? of a Transformers character? Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna Star look this Breeze. Up. Star Breeze. Star Star Breeze. Okay, that's what it is. Thank you. And yeah, they 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 made Fast Tracker. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and they did a bunch of really cool demo stuff. Oh, I, I, so you know, in, in my own way, I was part of the demo demo community. I'm going to keep yep. that because I always thought that was like demo people who make demos and and hackers were always the coolest kids on the internet when I was growing up. So that's that's right. That's all I've ever wanted to be. <laughs> um, so so what sort of games are you playing around this point? Like you know, teenagers. I'm imagining. I played a lot of Doom uh, when Quake came out. I played a lot of Quake. Um, it was mostly like oh, roguelikes. I played a lot of NetHack. Okay. Um, uh, and other than that, like what I remember playing is a lot of like um, Apogee and Epic Shareware. So um, like the, the Duke Nukem, the first two games, okay. uh, Jill of the Jungle. Um, and there's a whole like catalog of like like mediocre apogee platformers uh like pharaoh's tomb i really i remember really fond have really fond memories of pharaoh's tomb and monuments of mars um and um and but like was this was this sort of feeding back into the type of games you were making like did you ever do like uh, quake mods or anything i um never made quake mods um I, I wanted to make platformers, and okay. I remember like. But did you have I, a console? I, because that seems to be you know that's the natural home of the, the platformer, as we we mentioned earlier. Yeah, I I didn't get a console until like my sister actually got one for her for Christmas in like '97. She got a, a Nintendo 64, and I fell in love with Super Mario 64. Um, I I still have like. I still consider that like basically my favorite game, even though it objectively doesn't really hold up. Um, oh no, it's it's uh, a, it's a, it's a wonder. 
I, I can I, it's one of the few games that I can vividly remember like my first playthrough of it and just being completely just yeah I, 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 my whole world shifted like it was unbelievable yeah yeah it's it's the whole package it's like both um a really well-designed game like a really well tuned control scheme like you you like you run around in this game and it is just fun to run around or run in circles yeah yeah and also like that on top of like um navigating 3d spaces in a way like even having played quake um i'd never felt like i would navigated a 3d space in this way before it felt very new i i just like i i i i got really obsessed with that game and i got really good at it and like it was just a a staple of my life uh growing up um as in my 20s i was uh, really like a uh, someone who played mario 64 a lot how do you uh, mean get good at it how do you how do you uh judge that well uh i just would um i i feel like i i was um i i just mean like on on as in compared as compared to like other people i knew like because okay. i certainly was never speed running it that, that's always my first thought because it, it that always blows my mind but <laughs> yeah yeah no that that was that was outside of my ken um and like yeah, I, I look at like uh, at someone like uh, oh I forget his name. The, 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 I was looking at I was for a while I was following um, the at the time world record holder on Twitch and watching him run, and it was just like he would you know finish the first couple of stars and then reset, you know, because the time wasn't good enough. And it's like it kind of requires speedrunning. Kind of requires a preternatural patience. Like, yeah, not only is he not only is he like way better at the game than I am. He's also way more patient than I am. Uh, and those are probably linked. Like the patience of being willing to practice the same jump over and over again for hours until you have it. Like, so that you can't fuck it up. Like it's yeah, yeah. That that's kind of amazing. So how is um, like the you said you were playing that in your 20s and stuff so so like at what point did you not at what point i suppose but but had did you just continue pursuing programming like did you ever think right this is i'm gonna get a job in this so i'll go to university or apply for jobs or something yeah i mean programming is something that i've been doing continuously since i was maybe 11 right um it's just been when it wasn't my job it was my hobby um and yeah, I was trying to get into games. I was trying to make games for a living. Um, and it like the, at the time, like I had I had not graduated, but I had just gotten a job. Um, I had just like kind of dropped out of college, and I had gotten a job doing like web development. Okay. Um, and it was it was paying the bills. It was and it was interesting enough to keep my attention. And so I didn't mind it, but I was definitely trying to get into games. And this was like in two thousand two. Uh, and that's like looking back on it, the worst time in history to try to get into making games. Yeah, it's kind like, of between booms, kind of not really booms, yeah. but you know what I mean. Like it's between like, like Megabyte and and the indie, like a few years later. Yeah, but well, between when like uh, games between indie ten years later and like ten years before that, the the size that we considered indie later was just the size of the team they made yeah, games. Yeah, yeah. And so if you're trying to build up a portfolio, um, you have to just, you just have to make games and like looking back on it, what I would have done, 
like at the time, what I should have done is just build games that were small enough. And this is what I ended up doing later, build games that are small enough that I can finish them myself and like that are reasonably bite sized. Um, and I think that would have been an impressive enough portfolio. Uh, but at the time it was make like a, a team, like the idea of making games that were not as good as the games that came before it in some respects, like it was unheard of. Okay. Okay. Like, so how how do you do that though? Like, did, did you sort of, you know, like, yeah, yeah. For someone starting out, how do you do that? Do you just kind of pull together a team of people? Well, you just can't. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. The, the, the idea of, um, the idea of, like, that games need to be technologically more impressive than their predecessors is something that basically came from marketing, you know? Like, this is how we sell a new generation of consoles to this people who already have a gaming system, is that it can do more realistic graphics. Um, and we're just now, like, just now, like, starting a couple of years ago, I think, getting to the point where, like, people are willing to kind of let set that aside um, and be willing to uh, play games that aren't the prettiest game, you yeah. know? Um, and just having that mental model, like I remember, um, re- like really, like just to give you a sample of like how I thought about games, there was a game called um, Space Station Silicon Valley. Okay. And and it had this title screen with this uh, the static shot of a star fi- a star field, and in front of it there's a uh, um. A space station and the space station is spinning slowly and it's you know like looking back on it it's it's trying to go for like the i at least i think it's trying to go for like the the slow moving like majestic shots from 2001 of like the structures in space um and my reaction to this was that because the stars aren't moving it looks cheap and (laughs) the reason for that is that where I came from, um, a signifier of high production values is that the whole screen is move, is, is moving and being changed mm-hmm. because it's hard to do that on old PCs. It's hard to like change every pixel. Um, and so you, you do things that like, that make it just look like that. Like if you have stars, those are just one pixel each. So you, you can just move them. You can like re- erase each star and redraw the new star, and you've only changed like a hundred pixels, but it looks like the whole screen is moving, and that's a really good trick for fooling people into thinking your whole screen is animated, which looks expensive. It looks fancy. Um, so demos had came... ruined you. What was that? Demos had ruined you. Uh, yeah, like the 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 space station Silicon Valley team was just like yeah of course you can they're they're on, they're on a console where it's easy to change every pixel so that's that means nothing yeah um and yeah like things like that that was where my headspace was at like I wanted to do something like fancy and exciting and and like eye candy and it was just not in my capability to do it by myself and it would be one thing if I had like artist friends. Yeah. friends who wanted to do level design um but i've always been like kind of a lone wolf developer um, so what did you do uh i didn't like so i i had a really hard time like trying getting a job in in games you know i, I ended up making websites for a long time um in like 2004 um a friend of mine 
graduated from college and was like, hey, Jim, you should come make games with me at my parents' house in Truckee, you know, while, while they're away. Um, and it's I a ended place up called Truckee. To T-R-U-C-K-E-E. It's a skiing town. Okay, okay. That's in an California. amazing named place. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> it's a brilliant. Um, Sorry, continue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, um, so I quit my job. I went there, I lived with him. It was basically like a dorm where people make games. Um, it was, it was a really exciting, like three months of my life. Uh, and we were working on a game the whole time. Um, we didn't, we never ended up shipping it, of course. Um, but it was a really good boot camp for both of us. He ended up getting a job at, um, I think America's army, which was, uh, do you know about this project? I do know. Yeah, it was like the the recruitment drive video game, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was like an engine programmer on that for a while, um, and I um, got hired at a middleware company that was doing um, debugging tools targeted to game developers, um, which turned out to be a huge mistake because like it combines the stresses of like a s- startup and an R and D an R and D company, like a major R and D division. Um, and I was just like not willing to put in like the the life commitment yeah um, necessary for that. And like when I came out of that, I was you know really depressed, uh, having just been laid off. Um, they called it laid off, but it was really firing, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, I went back to my old job. You know, I went back to it and just started making websites again and. Uh, decided like game development is just going to be a hobby, you know? So um, through all this period though, were you still playing games? Like I feel like with that kind of struggle, which like weirdly enough, I'm actually, I'm, I'm in the midst of recording a special episode where I speak to people who are kind of just starting in game dev or, you know, trying to juggle their life and making games and stuff. And it, it's all of the stories are like that, which I, I'm sure the reason I wanted to do the episode is because I'm sure like, 90% of game dev is that experience, you know? Um, yeah. But, like, through this period where, you know, you're, you're trying to break in and, it's you know, you're not having the success you want, like, does playing games become then a bit bittersweet, I feel? I feel like that would be a bit like, oh, God, I could, why can't I work on stuff like this? <laughs> uh, at the time I was working there, and in fact, this was probably part of it, um, I was playing World of Warcraft. Okay, um, and I had started Those playing years. World of Warcraft. Yeah, it was like 2005. I had started playing World of Warcraft um, because I had just uh, gotten the job but I hadn't started yet. And I was like, it was like anticipatory stress. Okay. Uh, and I had like, I had played the, 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 my, my like 24 hour demo, like free demo of World of Warcraft and was like, okay, I can't start this game because I'll get sucked into it. Um, and being in a period of anticipatory stress, I was like, shit, I need like I need to go play something to relax. I'm going to, you know, buy World of Warcraft and subscribe. And it was very relaxing. It was very like, here's something to do with your hands and it makes you feel productive, but it's not very hard. Yeah. You know, and it's not very mentally taxing. Um, and um, I think with stuff like that as well, like, this is it's not really a common thread, but it's something that I've, I've spoken to a lot with people recently is that games like one of the not the big biggest draws but one of the things they can do that's really useful is just give you like total control like and if you're in a position where you're 
you're trying you, you know you're striving for something that's quite difficult then having just you know a world where you have complete control over is often like just super just comforting yeah. more than anything you or, know like or even just like i think the success of farmville for example is just from like you do labor and you are fairly compensated. Absolutely, yeah. And that's, that's a fantasy. <laughs> that's the fantasy those people are buying into, you know? You do work and work always means progress towards an end. I've been playing Stardew Valley all through Christmas and into the new year whilst waiting how, how, for various writing pitches. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually like, not to diverge too much, but it, it does all of those things. It gives you, you know... It says it gives you the rules that if you do this, this, and this, then you get this, uh, which yeah. life very, very rarely does. Um, but also, it's like I was really surprised by how amazingly well it's written and how like th- th- there's so much of a singular personality within it, and you know the town itself. The characters are like genuinely quite richly drawn, and I'm interested mm. in speaking to them and you know finding out how they all interact. It's it's really good. Um, yeah. But yeah, so you have you have World of Warcraft to to yeah, soothe it, your it, wounds. And that was a that was a form of self-care, you know. Games as self-care is a real thing like Yeah. Sometimes you want a game that's going to really challenge you and stress you out and then you play like Dark Souls or Steven's Sausage Roll, you know. Um and you you want to feel the, the 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 sense of accomplishment and you or 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 like I think multiplayer games like Counter-Strike are like that too where like what you're feeling right now isn't being relaxed. It is being like uh, a heightened, there's heightened senses and like a hyper focus that you Absolutely, need to yeah. be able to survive in those games. Um, and that's that's thrilling. You know, that's the sort of thing. That's the sort of reason people go on a roller coaster. Um, but then a lot of games like Diablo are or or Peggle or Bejeweled or any of the like the, the housewife games, the stereotypical housewife games yeah. are, are like. This is a way to relax and kind of pass the time, which is a form of self-care, you know, and that's important too. And they, it, you, you get different things from different games. Absolutely. I mean, like I always kind of, World of Warcraft is, uh, you know, you joke about it like, oh, I, I did it myself a couple of seconds ago. I said, oh, those years. Um, and <laughs> like there's a few of them, like I never, never played it because I know I have the personality that I would get lost in it, but also that I have the personality that I wouldn't be able to, justify it to myself and i would make myself feel bad for doing it whereas i have friends sure, yeah that played that played for years and you know like spent weekends playing and they're like oh it was amazing i had the best time and there's no guilt or regret whatsoever <laughs> yeah which i don't I think wonder, i could like, do yeah i wonder like are they doing it differently than me like one of the <laughs> yeah, things absolutely. i never did one of the th- things i never did in world of warcraft was i never like joined a guild and i never like made it really social um, cause that, that wasn't what I wanted out of it. You know, I am, I'm an introvert and like being around people isn't relaxing, isn't like the relaxing experience I wanted from that game. Um, but like the, the parts of that game that I don't regret that I really value the memories of are the social parts are like when I, you know, we, we formed a raid and we like, we, we were banging our heads against the boss of Nomragon over and over again. And it was really hard and we had to try a bunch of times, but nobody quit and we finally did it, you know. Um, that sort of thing is like really uh, powerful oh, it's in amazing. my memory. And you can't really have that, I don't think. I don't think you can have that particular experience without the, the, the like more um, 
even if it's just by contrast without the more, uh, you know, flat, um, uniform experience, expansive experiences or surrounding it that it yeah, exists absolutely. in. Yeah, totally. Just to, to show the, the, the expanse of it and, you know, the scale of it when everybody comes together suddenly becomes, yeah. it takes on this epic proportions, which is amazing. Um, yeah. Um, and, and like that game, I think was, uh, Part of the reason that I got fired, I think, was that I was <laughs> like, if I wasn't playing that game, maybe I would have had, you know, more focus to put into, or maybe it would have like, maybe that was just like, that's, this is my relaxation time. I just need a lot of relaxation time because I'm stressed right now. Yeah. I don't, it's hard to say, but I haven't played an MMO since then just because I don't trust myself to. Yeah. Um, because I do get sucked in. I played like Grand Theft Auto 4 as if it were like the way I played World of Warcraft where it like, you know, six hours a day, you know, like, like, uh, rivaling, you know, full-time work. But, but then like, after, did you role after, play though, or did you just mess around? Well, or were I, you, I, messed, you I, I was messing around in world of Warcraft too. Like right. I wasn't role playing. Uh, but like the difference is that after a couple of weeks of that, I'm done with grand theft auto four. Like I've exhausted it. Yeah. And you never exhaust world of Warcraft. You just keep being, you just keep doing six-hour days for the rest of your life. So, like, with this sort of period, I'm kind of I'm jumping around a bit now, but, like, when you were younger and, you you know, you were first thinking, I really want to make games, like, what what were the sort of games that you wanted to make? Were there specific games that, like, had really inspired you? Like, I want to make something like that. Uh, if I had... Um, what I wanted to make with things like, things like Super Mario Brothers... Um, and you can make that sort of game on the Commodore 128, but I just I had no idea how, and my mentor didn't know the hardware, so he had no idea how. Like if I had, um, and also like it was just beyond my ability. Like yeah. even if I had, even if I had known how to do the uh, the graphics with, like to use the built-in sprites and the built-in um, the scrolling tile map that the Commodore 64 has. Um, even even if I had known that, like I could have done something interesting, but. Um, uh, handling gravity and collision detection in platformers is a little bit beyond what I was capable of. Um, but like if I could, if I could go back and give my, uh, my younger self some advice, like I was reading, um, Dungeons and Dragons rule books for fun. Cause I didn't have any friends. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. That's not, that's not, not I, I, funny. I, I, I had friends. They just like, there was never, it was never, uh, the, the circumstances were never such that we could play D and D. Weirdly um, though, that, that, that also has come up on the show before. My friend Mark used to do the exact same thing. If only you yeah. had known each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, and I've, I've talked about how I like would rip off game ideas. I would instruct myself on how to better rip off game ideas. You're trying to make these, you know, dungeon crawl scenarios that like and and the the combat systems aren't very interesting just take fucking take the combat system from the source book you're reading right now you know it's somebody built that thing and tested it and it's fun and you can implement that pretty easily just do that um and that's totally something i could have done if i had thought of it that's and that's mean, what like that's that what like richard garriott did to make uh Whatever the predecessor to Ultima was that I forget, Aquabeth. Yeah. 
but like you know that's that shows a specific type of personality that doesn't it doesn't want to do that you want to you want to break out and do something totally different oh well some not necessarily like i was just doing ripoffs badly uh, <laughs> a lot of the time so like i i guess the the reason i'm kind of probing at that a bit is because like you you made frog fractions which is so unlike any other game really you know well it's it's structurally it's well i i think it actually really is a pastiche in more ways than just like here's you know tetris no, no, no i don't have tetris in there here's a text adventure here's ddr um like that game came from um well first of all it came from like when a friend of mine came to me with like art assets for a frog themed missile command game and was like, hey, do you want to make a frog-themed Missile Command game with me? I, like, I was going to make it with my brother, but then he went back to college. So, well, you want to do this? Uh, wait, wait, I need more. I need more. <laughs> why why, why, why um, frog-themed Missile Command? Oh, she just likes frogs. You know? <laughs> right, okay, okay. Rachel just is a big nature fan. Um, and just and to so, set this in time, is this like after WoW? This is like 2011. Okay, okay. Um... This is like after I've been um, like I, in like 2009 or 10, I, I decided like, OK, I'm going to start like because I hadn't shipped a game like basically ever. Um, I had made a bunch of game engines and I'd, gone, I'd done a bunch of game development, mostly like engines and then like made enough game to test the engine, like make sure it works and then never made enough game to actually like put in front of anybody to play. So I had made this pair of decisions in like 2010 to like a make a game that's small enough to ship in the, the, in the amount of time I my attention span lasts, uh, be, um, make it in flash, which is at the time, uh, the, the most lo lowest barrier to entry way to get games in front of people. Like you could just send them a URL and they're immediately playing it. You know, they don't have to download and install things. They can just go to this URL and play it and yeah. no problem. Um, Oh, and also, like, uh, fuck doing things the right way. Like, uh, when you're doing engine programming, you always want to do everything the right way. And that's what how I've been working for 20 years, like, trying to, like, think, always thinking about the architecture of the platform and the architecture of, like, how, how best to do everything. And that's, that's good if you're an engine programmer, but if you're trying to ship a game, that's terrible because you need to be working not on like m polishing what's there, but like getting everything feature complete enough to actually put it out the door. And so what, what um, prompted that? What prompted that, that change in, in just mind? Just, just like I was, I was excited about, you know, the small games I was seeing and I was like, I could make some, a game that small and I could probably do something interesting with it. Um, and I was sick of never shipping anything. You know, it was just like, I want to get my games in front of people. Um, that was all it was. So it's just like a certain amount of time had passed. You're like, oh, right, enough of this. I need to just make something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at the time, I was I was still at that web development company. And I was like really feeling like I hadn't done anything interesting in my personal life in a long time. You know? Yeah. Um, not that anyone could see anyway. <laughs> But but I, I want to go back to frog fractions, but I want to I want to cut in because this is a nice nice place to cut in I think, and just ask a few kind of relatively quick fire questions. Are you good sure. with that? Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so, Jim, if you had to uh, play a game with death for your, your very mortal soul, uh, what game are you best at? <laughs> uh, I would probably pick a really easy game. Um, if, if you wanted to make it be like a, 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 like a fair challenge, I'm, 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 I'm pretty confident that I could finish Mario 64 without dying. Okay, so what if we didn't want to make it a fair challenge? Uh, then I would um, play a game that where you can't die. So like for like off the top of my head, Wario Land three. Okay, <laughs> that that would be. I would love to see that Wario Land three to the death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've already kind of covered this a bit, but um, I don't think we ever got to the end of the the story. But has there ever been a game in your life that has consumed it so much that you've had to just uninstall it and never touch it again uh, that was world of warcraft that was world yeah. Of warcraft yeah was yeah, there, like was there I, a hard stopping point for that uh no i um i basically i got sick of it which is like i look back on that and like maybe that was like a some, some sort of self-defense mechanism kicking in um or maybe the self-defense mechanism is simply just the like the is boredom you know that's yeah. what boredom is for um and I, I did go back and I played um, Burning Crusade, whatever the first expansion was, um, and then I got sick of it. And I'm like, okay, this is good. I feel, I, I feel, feel happy purged. about this. And <laughs> then um, the next expansion had achievements in it, and I was like, oh fuck, I can't. <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. Um, and I actually did play that a little bit, but like only with a hard rule where I was only playing like with other people, with like. A group of friends, um, and they eventually, we eventually just stopped. Um, and I haven't touched an MMO since then. It was just like not, I, I just can't trust myself with it. Fair enough. Um, are you are you a competitive gamer, Jim? Have you ever got very competitive about a game? Uh, I try like, I th- this might be not be true now because you know I'm older now. But like, it used to be that when I would play competitive games, I would become a person I just didn't, I really didn't like. Um, and so I stopped. I just don't play competitive games. Uh, I don't really enjoy them. Um, and, uh, so like there's no real loss there. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a competitive gamer. Was there like a specific kind of bad competition where you're like, Oh, what have I become? I just would get really angry. Like, a really like angry and frustrated person okay well this leads me nicely onto the next question which is uh, uh what was your worst ever rage quit uh so it, i don't even remember the game but there was def- there was a game that i was frustrated by where i ended up like actually like breaking my gamecube <laughs> <laughs> and it was repairable it was just like um there was just like a a a piece of the vent was stuck in the fan and they had to like I had to like like cut that part out and pull the fan back into place but like I think it was like a, I think it was something really like inane like the tutorial to rogue leader <laughs> like I, I couldn't I couldn't finish this part of the tutorial and it was just really like uh, I was really indignant that the tutorial was too hard for me to finish and like I think maybe the game like when you try to retry each section, it makes you listen to the the tutorial voice tell you how to do it each time. <laughs> it was just like, 
Oh, oh like a common. I, I, I'm a really relaxed person in life. Uh, and so like people who know me get pretty freaked out when they hear me get angry at a game. Like I really only ever get angry, angry at video games. It's kind of <laughs> weird. And the, the GameCube is quite a, you know, I'd say that's arguably one of the sturdier consoles. <laughs> you must yeah. have given it a hell of a whack. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, okay, so, um, you know, games are, are getting much better and, you know, at, at kind of evoking a, a wide array of emotions from people. Uh, but I still think one of the rarest is laughter. So, Jim, what games have really made you laugh? Uh so there's two kinds of games that are funny that I've observed. And one is um, games like Monkey Island and Psychonauts where the funny comes from the writing. Yeah. Um, and that stuff's great. Um, or Portal is another good example of that. And Portal is um, uh, is a better example, I think, because uh, Psychonauts has voice acting, but... Um, it's not really like very carefully tuned like they like when you have a voice acting and also like the text is appearing at the bottom of the screen and also like you control the timing of the dialogue with yeah. a button press that really kind of kills like the comedy to a large degree where you if the if the person if the writer doesn't have control over the timing of when things are spoken, like it's kind of hopeless. And in Portal, they don't have that problem. They like I've uh, in the commentary to Portal Two, I remember I think it was Eric Walpaw talking about like sitting there uh, with the voice acted lines and nudging them forward and back a little bit just to get the impact right, which I think is really important um, for. But and then there are games like uh, Quop, which yep. are funny by virtue of gameplay um and i think that's a much more interesting accomplishment and it's also like basically impossible to do if you're trying to do like if you're optimizing for comedy that means you're not optimizing for a game that's fun and like any game that you're trying to sell to uh to a to a mass audience is if it's not fun, then it's just considered to be broken a lot of the time, you know? Yeah. So, so fun is always the top priority unless like the, the, weirdly enough, like the exception is horror games. Like people will accept a game that's not fun if it is scary. Uh, so we're allowed. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Like we, we have on a mass market, we've expanded from one possible emotion to two possible emotions, which is nice. (laughs) You know, it's a good start. But I mean, I have to say, like, you know, I ask this question because um, rarely do, do games make me laugh. And it's only occasionally I get to speak to people where their games have really made me laugh. And one of them was, uh, your example was Quap. I spoke to Benny and uh, Bennett, Benny, Bennett, and uh, <laughs> I was like, I told him how funny that game was. But also Frog Fractions is probably, and Frog Fractions too, has made me laugh like a lot. Like it was, I'm, I'm assuming that that's intentional, right? Oh yeah, yeah, and I try to do both both things in there. Like I yeah, tried exactly. To... That was what I got. That was what I was thinking as you said. Yeah, yeah, uh, and like a lot of that is I don't know. Like I I I guess I've I've come to trust my judgment for what's funny. So I'll just say I guess I'm a funny person. Um, although that sounds very self-aggrandizing. Like 
uh, I, I've just come to trust my judgment on that stuff. I think um, that's super important though, because otherwise you, as soon as you start thinking what people are going to think, then you're limiting yourself and it's just, you lose all the, the kind of juice of the funniness. Yeah. And if I had like known that I was making frog fractions for a mass audience before I had that trust, before I was just, I was just like making a game that I thought was funny and that I could show to my friends and maybe they would think it was funny. And that was the extent to which I had thought about it at the time. Um, and it was only when that really resonated with people that I like came to realize this is actually a perspective that, uh, is common enough that I can like say like, okay, a lot of people are going to laugh at this joke. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, let, let's talk about that then. So your, your friend comes to, comes to you with this, these assets for a, a frog themed missile command game. Yeah. So like Rachel came to me in, in like 20, 2011, like maybe August of 2011 or so with these assets. And, um, I was like, my reaction was like, oh yeah, I've never made a game with assets before. Like I've never gave, made a game with like an actual artist doing art. Okay. Um, and so I started making this missile command game. It's just, it was just very like simple, like frog licks bugs for a long time. And I experimented with a bunch of control schemes and I remember, like, one memory I have is of, like, I was working at this thing on a game jam, and I was, you know, testing this tongue control scheme, and I remember, like, um, a friend, like, it wasn't a friend at the time, just an acquaintance coming over and um, looking at the screen, and then walking away, and I was like, wait, shit, I'm making something really boring. <laughs> Uh, and I remember like that, that moment motivating me to like, no, I need to do something interesting with this game. I need to like, uh, really ramp it up. Um, and I tried a bunch of different control schemes. Um, and none of them were really like long-term fun. Um, and at some point I hit on the idea of having an upgrade system where you're like choosing control schemes via uh the upgrade system and but then you get sick of it you know it's not interesting it's not long-term fun um and this is like a uh an issue that i've had um and it's not really an issue it's just like as it turns out like i'm not as good as making a game at making a game fun as i am at making it funny okay um you know i'm okay at making a game fun and that's fine like uh but there are people there that are way better at me th than at better than me than at that. Um, and they're making fun games and I'm making funny games. And it's just that the fact that like the, there are apparently so few people who can make a funny game. That's what makes absolutely uh, my skill set interesting to people. Um, so at what point so, did you kind of make that decision or, or notice that? Uh, well, it was always like, it's always kind of been what I gravitated towards. Like, how can I make this game interesting without, you know, putting a whole lot of work into it? Uh, and like, the, I had made a game called Futilitris, and that game like took about a week, which is about right for like my attention span. Um, uh, and um, it was a game where uh, when you make, it was, it was Tetris, but when you make a line, the play field expands outwards. <laughs> and that, that's just, that's the whole joke, you know? Um, and I put the, the amount of work in, into it in like that was required to make, to sell the joke. Um, and then I moved on and that was, that's the game. Um, and, uh, it's always been like the stuff that people react best to uh, of my work is that stuff. It's like the, 
when I make a game that is not particularly funny, that is just like, yeah, it's kind of a fun game. Nobody really cares. Uh, so, um, that's always been kind of my focus. Um, that, that Tetris thing is quite interesting though, because it's like that, that's kind of, that's almost the joke of frog fractions as well. And frog fractions too, is that when you do something good, it, it expands and it just gets to like, like proportions. You, I guess you so. No yeah. Idea I didn't so so while you were doing the control schemes, did yeah, you just yeah. keep adding on and on. Yeah, um I I I made the decision like I want to make this upgrade system that's like that constantly changes the game. You know, it every upgrade is meaningful in a way that is makes an interesting change to what the game is. Um and I eventually like got to the point where like I I just uh, this realization popped in my head where like okay, the obvious way to change the game is actually just make an entirely new game. Um, and I can't remember like what happened first, but I think like I, I had this DDR, uh, um, DDR game that I had, I had like engine that I had worked on just for fun over a weekend. And I slapped that in there and that became like one of the things that happens next after the upgrade. Um, and like it, the game was basically like, basically developed chronologically um, in terms of like what happens next to the player is what happens next is what I developed next in the game okay. when I was working on it. Um, so except for that DDR section, which kind of went, went in the middle there. Um, and like every, so once I had the, the part where like uh, the idea of like, where's the fruit going when it falls into the water? Oh, it's under, it's uh, probably just in a pile under the water. Um, so why don't you, why can't we just go down there and, uh, and go get it? Yeah. Um, and I created the, uh, diving helmet upgrade, which doesn't exist anymore, but like at the time that was what it was for. It was like the upgrade was for diving underwater. Um, and it was made explicit in the interface that that was what you're supposed to do. Uh, and so you get the diving helmet, you could dive underwater and you get the, all the, all the fruit. And then the next thing would be like an upgrade that was too expensive to get unless you didn't do that. Unless you did do that, rather. Um, and yeah, sure, well, sure, why not just take off into space? I, I enjoy like writing. I, I enjoy playing shmups, <laughs> you know. We'll fly through an asteroid field. And um, as you mentioned earlier, you, you, you love doing star fields. That's right, yeah. Although, in, in this case, I just <laughs> used like some... A uh, shot of a, a nebula from NASA. Okay. <laughs> so, but but with, with that kind of design principle in your head, like, how do you know when to stop? Uh, I knew when I. So that development, that game's development, really could have, like, realistically, it could have gone on forever. Like, uh, there's no exactly. Yeah. There's no obvious stopping point, and in fact, the ending of that game is it implies that it, the story continues with more. Or ridiculous shit. Um, uh, the the stopping point was that I decided, like, okay, this thing is like, um, it feels like a complete experience. Uh, let's uh, polish it up and get it out the door uh, as a and as an IGF submission. And so that was October of 2012 was when the deadline was was for that. I think. Um. And so I. Uh, 
I I was heads down for like three months before that, try to get this getting get this thing like polished enough to to put in front of people. Um, and that was that was how I decided like when to ship was I just set a deadline for myself and made it as good as I could before then. And that was what happened with Frog Fractions too as well. Was I just had a uh, a deadline in this case? Well, it was it was it was partly like when is my money gonna run out? But be sure to like get it as good as I can before then. How did it feel when Frog Fractures came out? You know, you had because it was a phenomenon. Like you know, it, it, everybody. Well, you know, to me, it felt like everybody was talking about it because it's just like, oh, you need to play this, but you know, don't. I'm not going to tell you anything about it, but just play it. Yeah. I had no frame of reference for that sort of thing. Like, uh, so it was super weird to me. It was super like how, like what my life is suddenly, um, much more exciting and much more interesting. And like, maybe I can actually make a living doing this game stuff, you know? That must have um, felt great though. Yeah, it was, it was really exciting. It was a really exciting time in my life where like I was suddenly making all these game developer friends. Um, and, uh, yeah, like it, it gave me the the confidence I needed and it gave me the connections I needed to like make another go at like making games for a living. And it gave me like the reputation I needed to like realistically make them on my own terms. Yeah. Uh, whereas like I think uh, AAA development is really like a brutal on the human body, you know. Yeah. Um, it's not really something that I would recommend any person do um uh and like making games on my own terms means i can like if i like put the amount of work into something that i feel like is not going to like have long-term negative consequences you know on on me like i can i can modulate the amount of work i do and not feel like i need to be in the office till 1 a.m absolutely uh, pretending to work which is a lot of the time what's happening there when you have like people putting in like hundred hour weeks, they're probably not actually getting that much done because like, if you know you're going to be in the office till midnight, you are doing as little as work as possible to be able to survive that. Yeah, absolutely. So like just not having to pretend is, is nice. So I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about frog fractions too at, at all because I think people should play it because it's, it's, it's a joy like the cool. because of the, it's the exit like and half of the the fun of those games is the like what nay this is <laughs> happening you know and that, like that, that's yeah it's such a joy like it really is but like so with this kind of burst of, of success that you got with frog fractions like did i i don't know if it felt like a, what was your sort of first thoughts like what can i do now like did you feel like you had to do frog fractions too purely for the because you're like okay now i can do it properly uh so it took me a year to figure out what i was gonna do um uh during which time i was a hired gun on a project called gun house which okay. is a uh kind of a hybrid um falling block puzzle tower defense game that was brandon sheffield's baby at the time it came out on on, on playstation vita uh and now it's finally out on on uh, ios and android so people can actually play it um uh, and that was a game that, like, I, you know, didn't expect to put that much time into, but I ended up spending a year on it. Um, and we're, you know, I'm pretty proud of it. I think it's a solid, like, uh, solid fun time waster. 
really pretty, really uh, good soundtrack. Um, and really, like, it has new game mechanic, like, game mechanics in it. Like, we wanted to create a new kind of game and um, maybe get, make it compete with, like, kinds of games that we've humans have known how to make fun for 30 years. So that's a really tough ask. Absolutely. You know? um, and that was why it took a year instead of, like, what our original estimate was, like, four months. Um, so... Uh, and that was that was what I was doing for that year, like because I was I was kind of hiding from the responsibility of owning my own project, and that's kind of where I am now, where like I am um, I am in a place where like I uh, I'm not really ready to head up something uh, psychologically, yeah, because I've just been doing that for a while, and it's kind of scary. It's kind of like a lot of pressure, yeah. And so right now I'm just doing like hired gun work on other people's games, which I like doing it's fun you know it's it's fun to not be the one in charge and let's just be the one that like i can focus on this one task um and do a really good job at that yeah absolutely um and but as much as i'm not gonna i don't want to talk about frog fractions too like in the specifics like i feel like i I have to i have to mention the the arg because it was it was it was such such a, a wonderful insane thing um like when did you think when did you think of that? When did you think, oh, this would be a good way to start the next game <laughs> with this multi-year uh, so, ARG? So the ARG um, was, um, I actually built the first part of it right after Frog Fractions um, for GDC of 2013, where I, my, my idea was like I was going to build this like mini ARG and put clues on my business cards and like, hand them to people at GDC and then they'd see the clues and go off and play this game. Um, right. I need to stop you immediately purely because like the, the first thing I want to think about, like, like making that decision is, is a good decision, but <laughs> the, the, there is such a confidence in the people you're giving the cards to. Like what if nobody did anything? Well, that's what happened. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> Like it turns out that people uh, at GDC are like way too busy to to like notice that sort of thing, right? Um, uh, and so like a couple of people noticed this game, but no one, nothing ever really came of it. I don't think anybody like solved any of the puzzles. Um, uh, but um, all that stuff was still on the web when uh, the time came. The time came to do the Kickstarter, and so like I was just like, well. What if I just include a pointer to the start of this game in the Kickstarter pitch video? Okay, okay. Uh, and so, um, oh, and b- by the way, I wanted to get into this too. Um, when I was uh, like right around January of twenty fourteen, which w- like when I started work on the Kickstarter, I was um, really unconfident about like my ability to deliver on something like Frog Fractions on purpose because I'd make the made the first game basically by accident, you know. <laughs> and it was only when I sat down and wrote the script and did a couple of drafts on that and was getting like positive reactions from my friends, like yes, this is funny and surprising, and in the same way that the uh, first game was. That was when I actually like got like the confidence to believe that like, yes, I can just do this sort of thing on purpose. I can just sit down and do it. Um, that feels like an important step. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And so like I started like that was a that started like a three month, you know, production cycle of preparing for the Kickstarter before it actually went live. Um, but uh, when we were doing the uh, pitch video, I was like, well, what if we have this clue on the background in a scene and like people will notice the clue and then start investigating this ARG stuff. And uh, I didn't know what it was going to be at the time. Like it was just like I had put all these puzzles up there and they didn't really lead anywhere. And um, I had just like, let's just start on this and then we can add, add in clues later. Uh, they ended up um, leading towards um, you played this uh, shaving mini game uh, made in flash where like you shave Obama's face and then like you get reactions on Twitter from it. Um, <laughs> like the different cabinet, the, like your presidential cabinet and like other world leaders will like comment on your facial hair. Um, <laughs> and you do this for a while and like you eventually get a message from this mysterious figure who tells you like, uh, to meet him at these space time coordinates and the space time coordinates were like, a Saturday afternoon in Berkeley in like uh, on Berkeley campus. Um, and my intention at the time was just like, yeah, I'll meet up with these people and say, hi, you found the ending of the arg. Uh, enjoy, you know, I hope, I hope you had fun. Um, but then like I got ambitious and like all people got excited about it. And like, we ended up staging this like one act play where I get kidnapped by time travelers. Um, there's a YouTube. There's a video of that on YouTube, by the way. If you want to see me get kidnapped by time travelers, it's pretty entertaining. That sounds like so much fun. It was. It was a lot of fun. Like that. That moment. Uh, like that day. Uh, planning that day with all these people who were excited to do something, and also like a similar day was like the 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 shoot primary uh, shoot shooting day of the Kickstarter pitch videos. Like n- nine people in a room, like all working towards like the same goal and all like just doing, just doing the weirdest shit, you know, (laughs) Uh, it's a lot of fun. That Um, sounds amazing. And, uh, after that, like I had had, uh, some additional puzzles on floppy disks, which they took a while to solve. And after that, there was nothing for a while. Like I was just like, I don't have, I'm trying to make a video game here. I don't really have time to work on the ARG. And it kind of went fallow for a year. Um, although like six months of that was them solving that last puzzle. So like it wasn't a, it, it didn't, I didn't feel too bad about it. Um, yeah. And I eventually like uh, um, brought on a friend who uh, expressed interest in working on an ARG. Um, uh, I, and I ended up letting him just run it for, uh, while he was going to grad school, he was he ended up running the ARG for a long time, and d- still didn't know where it was going. Still didn't know what where it would end up. Um, uh, and in the meantime, I was making this video game, and that was that's my perspective on most of this stuff. Is like I'm making this video game, and Justin is running this ARG, and we'll eventually tie them together somehow, but I don't know how. And it was only like. Uh, Towards the very end, uh, Justin had come up with this, like, I'm building this, like, I've got this wooden box. I'm going to fill it with weird stuff. Um, And it ended up going through me somehow. Like, I had had possession of this physical box, and I was giving it to one of the ARG players. 
Um, and the arc player I met, I met, we, we ended up having lunch. Um, and she talked to me about like the horrors of like, she's a biologist, the horror, the horrors of the wet tropics, you know, where, <laughs> um, and she, uh, confided in me, um, that what she really wanted to do with this box, like she was supposed to like do like an unboxing video where like she shows all the other arc players, like here's what's in the box. What could it mean? Yeah. Um, what she wanted to do was add her own secrets to the box and run a side ARG of her own. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just immediately agreed to this cause that sounded like a great idea to me. Absolutely. Um, and Justin was like, he had finals, so he wasn't really doing anything. And so Erica's ARG like became my ARG. Like that's where all the, all the focus and attention went. And she had been planning this thing, I think for a long time, like she'd wanted to do an ARG for a long time. And so, um, her, her work was really involved and extensive and there was a lot to dig through and a lot of content. And like, if you listen to the Frog Fractions 2 soundtrack album, there are like seven songs in there from the ARG, not that weren't in the game at all. They were just in YouTube videos in the ARG and some of them are really good. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I feel like at this point I should, I mean, it's, it's probably completely redundant by now because if people don't know, they would have turned off, but (laughs) ARG stands for alternate reality game. uh, And it's basically like a grand treasure hunt. Yeah. Like a kind of like a scavenger hunt, but like with a story. Yeah, it seems a bit redundant three quarters of the way in, but nevertheless. Sure, just in case. Just in um, case. Yeah, and so um, I ended up, because everybody's everybody's eyes were on her work, I ended up coordinating with Erica when it came time to actually pay off the ARG and connect it to the game itself. Okay. Um, and we ended up building this, um, like I was racking my brain, like how can I, how can I make this ARG have a payoff and how can I do it in such a way that it doesn't violate the initial idea of the Kickstarter, which was that, and this, this is probably something I should have specified earlier too, the Kickstarter promise was that I would make this video game, but I would never tell you about it. Like, I'm not going to tell you what it's called or where it's released, and my name isn't going to be on it. And you just have to find it. That's the premise. Okay. Um, and so how can I how can I pay off the ARG in a satisfying way while still holding to that premise. And I ended up coming up with this idea. The initial idea was one of those Amazon dash buttons, like where you've got this button that's labeled like Cheetos and you push the button and then it like automatically orders Cheetos okay, for okay, you okay. from Amazon. Is that a thing? It, yeah, it's a real thing. They have like, oh my but- God. they sell individual buttons for like all these different products, like Tide detergent and like cat food. Um, <laughs> they could, you could really abuse those buttons. Uh, yeah, you could. Leave one of those uh, unattended. You've got truckloads of tides in the house. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I, yeah, okay. yeah. Just don't don't keep a keep out of reach of children. Um, <laughs> especially if they're like, "Where are the Cheetos?" and they just keep yeah, pushing exactly. it until like, "Why aren't?" They? Uh, and the idea was to make one of those except it said Frog Fractions Two on it. Um, that was the initial thought. Um, and the idea was then like, okay, then when they push the button, the game goes live somewhere. Um, but I'm not, uh, you know, I, I'm not telling you where, because that's part of the puzzle. Um, okay. And so, uh, what it ended up becoming was there's this like elaborate, like, uh, room escape puzzle in Portland where, um, the people who, uh, 
solve the puzzle, they got this key. And then uh, another group of people, so I think they were, went to a library in Kentucky and found a note. And that led to um, a game I made that um, that was a, a, a pastiche of her story that was uh, just unboxing videos. Okay. Um, and that led to instructions to like how to get the this mushroom switch. There was this there was this box that we made where you insert the key and you turn the key and then you push a button and it just plays a sound. But it's like the until you like figure out what the, what it is like the box the button is labeled launch frog fractions too. Um, and so they ended up getting these this key in the box together like the day after Christmas. But how and, did that even happen? Like. Oh, I don't know. Those... I was making a video game. You'd have to <laughs> yeah. ask the people who ran the ARG. Again, this blows my mind because I feel like like this could have collapsed at any point or, uh, or just never happened. So it was fully dynamic. Like if it's like a, there's a huge difference between like building a video game where everything has to work right and like running a tabletop RPG where if the players don't do a thing, you can uh, you can just compensate for for that as the as the dm you know you can just say okay okay, well you're going over there well okay the interesting part of the game that i want you to find is now over there you know and there a lot that happened a lot over the arg where you um we would put out some clues and um the people on the forums would wildly misinterpret the clues but as it turns out like you know what i like their interpretation better than our intention that's canonical now i'm just (laughs) gonna make that be the real solution um and so, um, but wasn't like, there a whole it, section within games as well? Oh yeah. I forgot about that entirely. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So this, this was something I was involved with, so I can talk about this at length. Um, uh, I ended up putting, um, this, uh, sigil, uh, like kind of looks like an eye and a gate mashed together. Um, okay. in about 30 different over the course of the past two or three years, about 30 different indie games. Um, and those games, um, that have a sigil in them, the sigil indicates the presence of a puzzle and if, and it's a, usually a really difficult puzzle. And if you solve the puzzle, then you get this map piece and the map piece, uh, when you put them all together, they display this like map with like, um, uh, like a, like a cornfield maze looking map with uh, concentric circles and like uh, different notation at various points on the, on the maze. Um, and that maze, um, I didn't know what it was going to be for when I came up with the maze. I didn't know right. what, what uh, it would be a maze that unlocks, but uh, we did a couple of things with it. One was that when we put the sigil in Firewatch, um, the uh, the maze actually was used to solve that puzzle. And so, like, you couldn't solve the puzzle in Firewatch until you had solved the rest of the puzzles in in the different indie games. Although, like, <laughs> it that that was that was kind of a fake uh, constraint because by the time we put the puzzle in Firewatch, they had solved all those puzzles. Right. They had okay. Found all the, uh, it would be it would have been much more interesting if like the first thing we did was put out that uh put out put the the puzzle in firewatch you know like and then like oh we have this weird uh collection of symbols what do we do with them and then over the next 2 years you find you put together the pieces and realize what they're for you know um 
And um, that uh, solving that puzzle led to uh, a, it gave you a username and password that if you had been playing the Frog Fractions 2 ARG, which was unconnected, like as far as people knew, so far was completely unconnected. Uh, if it 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 gave you a, a password to the to one of the terminals in the Frog Fractions two arg, Frog Fractions two arg, um, and so that was what overtly linked these two ARGs. Right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I've lost track of all the ARGs now, but that's okay. Yeah. So there were two of them, and this moment like made people realize they were actually a single ARG. Okay. And so, so the, they all those commu- together. Those communities had to figure out how to merge. You know. Um, and what it gave you in the Frog Fraction 2 ARG was this series of soup videos where uh, a friend of mine <laughs> and I uh, would sit and like uh, eat soup and talk about it. And that's like, uh, that was like explicitly intended to be a bad payoff for the ARG. Like okay. that was like, I think it, I thought it would be hilarious to have like this really disappointing, dumb payoff. Um, and that's a really like uh, audacious thing to do when you don't know how the, what the good payoff is going to be, you know? <laughs> and so I was racking my brain, like, how can I make this thing pay off? And I came up with this button idea that would like, you push the button when, when, when you finally put all the pieces together, you push this button. Yeah. Um, uh, they, I thought they would live stream it, but they ended up just uploading a video. So like, as soon as the video went up, um, and we saw that it had the sound in it of like uh, me saying "launch sequence initiated." Um, that was when we made the game go live on Steam. Um, and at that point, like they had like some detective work to do, where they had to like go find like a. It, it there are tools out there to like look at what games have been published and what games have been updated in a certain span of time, and so they had to like look at that data and like correlate that with like what you know, who, what, um, other suspicious information is there? Like, for example, like, uh, the person who created Glitter Mitten Grove, which was the game that we patched the, uh, Frog Fractions 2 into, okay. had, had worked with me in the past. So that was suspicious, you know, like Ryan Ike is in the credits and Ryan Ike is known to work on Frog Fractions 2. So that was suspicious. The, uh, patch notes for that patch had the word fraction in them. You know? Okay, so things like but that. Like, but but was the button linked to the launch? Because uh, in, in that uh, we didn't launch it until we saw that the button had been pressed. Yes, but like there was yeah. no, it wasn't like connecting to your Wi-Fi. My point is that thinking about how this would all work, then y- you would have to know when they press the button and then launch it almost immediately so that they could make this comparison yeah. and that was so what we did yeah does that mean you were just on like 24 hour alerts for well, when the button we, gets pushed we were well there was a it there was a long wind up to it because um like we were watching them like uh we watched them talk about like oh we just realized we need these two things to be together so like the person who had the key shipped it off um and so we were like, okay, well, it's probably going to arrive on this day. And then it arrived on that day, but like that was like Christmas Eve, and the guy who had the button was like, well, I'm not making the video now because I'm spending Christmas with my, with my family, you know. Um, and uh, there was all this anticipation, so we had a pretty good sense of exactly when it was going to be pushed. Uh, and uh, so we were just awake for that. That's exciting. 
it was, yeah, it, it was the it was timing weird... it was crazy as well because it was like boxing day that it all went live right right exactly that was a weird like who ships a game on christmas that's just stupid <laughs> oh man, and as, so as it turns out there was actually another there was actually a game that shipped when we shipped and people thought this like <laughs> vr game like the poor guy like poor people working on that game on christmas like who like we need to ship this game asap let's put it out christmas day um, that's <laughs> kind of um, dumb and hopeless um that must have been such a, a like I mean, I'm sure, as you said, you were ju- you were just working on a game, and this was kind of happening in the background. But you know, that must have felt like a really satisfying payoff for you know a couple of years' work, essentially. Yeah, I was really uh, happy that it all came together like that. Um, and one interesting aspect of it is that um, narratively, uh, the um, the way the arg was written, uh, them pushing the button is actually what starts the cause that causes the decay that's that's lamented in the Kickstarter pitch video. Like, it's too late for our timeline because of the decay, but you can stop this. Um, and so, like, pushing the button to launch the game is actually uh, canonically it's the bad ending of the ARG. Okay. <laughs> um. But we knew that we wouldn't be able to help it, you know. That we got to launch this game, um, and and there, there's I think there's interesting philosophy to be described there, like where, um, when you're making a moral decision in a video game, there's a there's there's moral calculus there where like, well, bad things happen to fictional characters, but good things happen to real people because I'll be entertained. You know, and then the what's happening to the real person is more important than what's happening to the fictional person. Um, and similarly, similarly, like a um, uh, a uh, villain, like in an in, in fiction villain who is really entertaining, uh, is morally, you know, actually, like if you think about it in terms of like his effect on real world people, morally, uh, you know, better than a hero who does good works in fiction but is annoying to the to the viewer absolutely <laughs> so so you made your your biggest uh, biggest fans your biggest villains That's and right. biggest heroes all at once in in the fiction yes exactly yeah <laughs> um and if they hadn't pushed the button we would have figured something else out it's all like it's all very reactive okay okay um well i think i, I, I it's it's wonderful frog Fractures too like and i really like i think Going into it with knowing as little as possible uh, is 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 absolutely the best way to do it. Um, awesome, yeah. That must be super hard though for you to. I mean, I suppose because of the original Frog Fractions, people kind of know to expect the unexpected, you know, so to speak. Well, if if you like, so I've already said the name of the game. Like, if you go into Glittermitten Grove expecting to be surprised, you will be. You know. Yeah, um, absolutely. But. The hard part is that I can't promote the game like in in like the usual ways. Yeah, and yeah. so like for a long time that was actually an advantage because it was a secret that people were talking about. Now it's just annoying that I like I can't like advertise it in the usual way. I have to figure out how to advertise it in a way that is not um not a spoiler, you know. Yeah. So well, people people should absolutely go and play. Are you are you pleased with the kind of the the, the reception that it's had? Yeah, when when it was it was it's been generally well received. Like I knew that there would be people that just we wouldn't click with and who would be annoyed by it, 
and that was just a decision i was like i'm just i'm just gonna be okay with this you know um and it's but it was like I, i but i didn't know like what percentage of players that would be like who and 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 it was generally like well received i think it's still at very positive on steam which is nice um and there were a few reviews that were just pretty nasty, but like, hey, you know what? I can't disagree with anything they said. Like, <laughs> like it's all true. And so, like, yeah, that's 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 all valid opinion. Um, that's all valid opinion. So, what's next for you, Jim? I don't know. I don't know what's next. I'm like, there's a bunch of stuff I want to do. Like one idea that I'm still rolling around in my head that I think would be cool is to have a uh, Patreon where I just make small jam games every week or a couple of weeks. I think that would be a really fun way to spend some time um, doing some game prototypes, that sort of that thing. That sounds super fun. Are you not worried, though, that people will automatically try and link them all together into a new ARG? <laughs> <laughs> that That's definitely going to happen, but, like... <laughs> I, I I can't put secrets everywhere. Like there are definitely people who've complained to me that I they did this weird abstract like not abstract but abstruse thing or like time consuming thing in my game and there was no secret at the end of it. And like okay, well, it's I can't I can't put secrets in literally every possible hiding spot. I'm sorry. <laughs> like oh, well, I think I think that's a good problem to have to have everyone always assume that you're you know, it, it it's comforting to think that you're you're always plotting on some some new escapade, and and you know, yeah. m- maybe yeah. you are. Oh yeah, like if I do a a follow up to Frog Fractions, like my intent is not to announce it at all, like not even to the extent that I did with Frog Fractions two. <laughs> so so there's definitely going to be a Frog Fractions three then. It's just someone oh, needs uh, to uh, discover uh, maybe, it somewhere. Maybe it's already out. <laughs> oh, you tease. Um, <laughs> I think that's that's a perfect place to stop, Jim. Um, if there's anything that kind of hasn't come up, anything you wanted to mention, then please do, or or just you know let people know where they can find you and your games. Uh yeah, I'm um, I'm on Twitter under Mogwai Poet with an underscore in there. Um, you can play my games at Twinbeard.com, except for Glitter Mitten Grove, which just do a Google search for Glitter Mitten Grove. <laughs> uh, like I didn't want to spoil its identity on the on that website. Um, for people who are looking for the sequel. Um, and I do a podcast called Video Games Hot Dog uh, at videogameshotdog.com. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's uh, I guess that's about all the plugs I want to do. Was that fun for you, Jim? Are you, are you happy with that? With that podcast? Yeah, just the general yeah, chat. Yeah. yeah, it's been a good conversation.
you saw.